on the beaches. It's not that far. And we'd go, for me, I'd go a lot farther for drugs and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tina. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I want to thank uh, Bill, the leader, and um, Ryan for speaking, and Ryan for asking me. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad to be here. It's a really nice drive down here. Even though it's cold, it's like I like opening my sunroof and putting the heater on my seat, and it's just like blasting the music. It was great. I'm going home the beach route, I think. But, um, you know, I'm really grateful to be here and I'm really grateful to be asked to share my story. And, um, you know, maybe you'll get something, maybe you won't, I don't know. But, um, you know, I've never heard, in my sobriety, I've never heard them read, they stopped in time at a meeting. I've, I haven't ever heard that because, I, and I even forgot where it was in the book, but it's, it's very prevalent. It's very prevalent. So many of us don't have to dig so deep if you read this and you see this and it's offered to you, you know, at a reasonable time. It's like, I know a lot of people that have gotten sober in their teens and their 20s. I didn't get, I got sober in my 20s, but I could have read this when I was 12 and had a lot more time. You know what I mean? I could have read it then. Um, I'm sober since September 2094. It's my only sobriety date that I've ever had. And that's because I believe all of you that have gone in and out. It's like, I believe it doesn't get any better. And for me, it was pretty bad. It was, it was you know, I, I made some really bad choices in my life. And as many of us do. And the thing is, is I finally realized I didn't want to dig anymore. And the choices I made, it was crazy. So like I, I grew up in Hermosa Beach, which is right next to Manhattan, Redondo Beach where I live now. And, you know, every time I moved, I took me with me. So wherever, whatever city I lived in, it didn't matter because it was my thoughts and my thinking and my actions that provided me the life that I had, that I was, and the choices that I was making my choices led me to, um, you know, some really dark seedy places, some really, really dark seedy places. And I grew up, um, it's interesting, today's January 7th, my mother died 52 years ago when I was very little. And it's 52 years ago today and I still remember little bits of her. Like, I, I don't remember a lot because I didn't really know her and I didn't have parents. So my grandmother, she was 74 at the time my mom died and she took care of my sister and I, who's two years older than myself. And, um, and it was really interesting because that was when Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach and Redondo Beach, that was the poor town. All the poor people lived there. All the rich people lived in Beverly Hills and, and the Palisades and and uh, Bel Air and all those places, but we were poor. And now you look at Manhattan, Hermosa and Redondo and you can't, I mean, you, yeah, you can't afford it. I mean, nothing's under a million two, nothing. Not even a one bedroom. And if you, if you were to buy it. So the things that have changed since I've gotten sober and in my life, it's amazing. But um, like one of the, one of the birthday people shared, you just suit up and show up, you make the coffee, even if you don't sponsor people, 
you make the coffee. Back when I got sober, I cleaned ashtrays. I cleaned ashtrays and washed coffee cups because you know what, for me, hiding in the kitchen is really good. I still do it now. I'm 29 years sober and I still hide in the kitchen. I was at a party last night and I was in the kitchen. You know, we had a game night and it was, everybody was sober, but I was in the kitchen because I get in those modes sometimes to where I just, people are too much and I just need to be here right here, right now. And, and then I finally, you know, I did what I needed to do to recenter myself. And then I had some great conversations with people I didn't even really know, but now I know them. So anyway, um, like I said, I grew up in Hermosa beach and, um, like my grandma would say, be home by the time the street lights come on. So that's how it was. You know, we were barefoot. We were running around. I love those things that come up on Instagram now. Is this how you grew up when you knew where everybody was when all the bikes are laying on the front lot, front yard? And, you know, we drank out of the um, the hose. We didn't have bottled water. We drank out of the hose. And, you know, other parents would discipline you if you got, you know, it's like you go to other people's houses and eat. You just had to be home by the time the street lights came on. And, and that was a freedom. It was a night, it was a real freedom. However, for me, for this alcoholic, it was a freedom for me to make some really bad choices. And because I had a lot of trauma, for, for instance, when my mom passed, um, I was five. I was five years old and a couple of weeks later, my best friend and I um, in kindergarten, we used to walk home holding hands, you know, we, you know, cross the street, whatever. She got hit by a car. I didn't. She died the next day. Then my great grandmother died. So my grandmother lost her mother and her daughter within a month. And so five years old, that's some traumatic stuff to go through. And, you know, had, had society known then what we know now about trauma and a lot of us wouldn't have made some of the choices. A lot of us would have had the opportunity to um, seek outside help. And I'm a big believer in outside help for this alcoholic. You know, for me, I am. Um, so fast forward, um, you know, I'm 17 years sober and I want to drink. And I want to drink because that I, all that stuff I thought I had dealt with, all the trauma that I had seen, all the death, all the dying um, that I had seen throughout my younger years, um, I wanted to drink. I wanted to drink at 17 years sober. And somebody said, I think you need trauma therapy. I went to trauma therapy, EMDR, six weeks of intense therapy every Friday night. And I was down and out for the first four weeks on the weekends and I worked through all those things. I don't want to drink anymore. And my life changed. My life changed, you know, um, prior to that. Um, anyway, let me, I'm bouncing all over the place. It's just, um, I don't know. I just really believe sometimes. And, you know, thank you for having me at this meeting and I hope drugs are part of my story. I'm an alcoholic through and through, but Drugs are what brought me to my knees. And uh, I hope you don't mind that I say that. But I really believe that sometimes people need to hear that. 
because there's a lot of people that are just straight alcoholics, but there's a lot of us that have other outside issues. And, um, and I believe that needs to be mentioned because, you know, it's in the book anyway, Dr. Bob, he's, you know, Dr. Bob or Bill, Bill W, you know, it's like, we deal with things like this and they did as well. So anyway, um, the choices that I was making when I was younger, I always thought I was in the way and I was a problem. You know, I didn't want to be a burden on my grandmother because like I said, we were really poor and, um, and I would see my grandmother borrow money from the her friend at the dry cleaner. She was, you know, we'd go to the laundromat and she'd borrow money from the lady at the dry cleaner because we didn't have any money to buy any more food. So she would borrow money from her friend at the dry cleaner so she could go grocery shopping and we could do laundry until we got our social security checks. And so in my young mind, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, I need to, I need to make some money. And at 10 years old, I got, um, she put us in a Catholic school and she worked um, in the library to pay for our tuition and then, you know, did all these voluntary things. So, um, so I got a job at 10 years old down the street from my house, Crazy, De Crazy Debbie's, it was a hair salon. So I would, you know, sweep up the hair and clean the brushes and keep the place clean after school and on the weekends. And that's where I was first introduced to outside issues, you know, because she was dealing out the back. So I'm like cleaning brushes going, okay, what's going on? You know, it's like, I'm watching money change hands. I'm watching outside issues change hands. And she's just having a good time, you know, having a good time. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And that triggered something in my head, you know, that I would use a couple years down the, down the road. Anyway, so I, I was very resourceful. I mean, my sister and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, she was like, yeah, do you remember? You used to, cause we used to like create these, um, subscriptions like this newspaper we'd go around the neighborhood and sell a newspaper or sell gym gym subscriptions or whatever because we'd find like barbells somewhere and we'd put them in our garage and you're like you want a membership to our gym and you know and so the neighbors would buy it you know for a buck or two or whatever and just because we were that way all of us kids in the neighborhood would try and make money or sell you know sell lemonade or whatever it was so I always had that in my mind that I needed to make money. And um, my sister was just like, she she always just wanted to read a book. And I was always go, go, go. And she wanted a piece of candy. So I would sell her, I'd had a Hershey's chocolate bar and I'd sell her one square for a quarter. <laughs> so, you know, there's like, you know, what, 12 or something squares. And so that's 12 quarters for one candy bar. And then I'd give her a green apple. So it was, it was, you know, that kind of mindset. It was really fun when we were kids. It was, it was really fun. But at some point in time, you know, I was down at Second Street in Hermosa and Hermosa High was right there. It was the head shop. And, um, you know, so I saw things going on in there. And I had been going to school. I, I stole my grandmother's station wagon and I'd take her Christian brother's brandy and I'd take it to school with me and I'd, you know, sell some shots. It's like, come on. Like, I don't even have a driver's license and I'm stealing her big, huge station wagon and driving it to school, you know, and it's like, 
the things that we that I did back then, it's just insane. Fast forward, those choices got me kicked out of schools. Those choices, um, I chose to get in really bad situations and relationships. There's this one person, um, we used to do outside, sell outside issues together. We were kind of a tag team kind of thing. You know, Hermosa Avenue used to cruise Hermosa Avenue and take one hour to get one mile, one end of the Hermosa to the other. And then you go down to Redondo to the Esplanade and it would be the cruising there too. And that was every Friday and Saturday night. So that was a very, you know, people come to you for the business. You don't have to go to them. You just stand there on the corner and whatever. And, um, you know, and I would drink. I loved vodka. Vodka was my jam because beer, I'd have to, you know, go to the bathroom way too much. And I don't like carbonation, still don't like carbonation. So um, I always had my vodka. I always had a bottle stash or I'd get my grandmother's Christian brother's brandy because, you know, I take or drink whatever because I just had to be level. And um, so the long and the short of it is, um, my grandmother, I ended up going to Bishop Montgomery for one year. It was a Catholic high school. I had already started my disease a couple of years before that. Um, and then I ended up going to Maricosta for a week, Redondo and graduating from a continuation school at 16 years old from uh, Pacific Shores behind Manhattan, um, in Manhattan Beach. And I was really proud of myself. I was really proud of myself because even though it was a continuation school, I graduated. I graduated and I got to show my grandmother that yes, this, I did it. And two months later, she died. Two months later, she died and um, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. And that's the only time I ever blacked out. I drank so much that night. I, it's the only time I ever blacked out. I have no idea how I got back to her apartment and my sister's apartment. They were living in El Segundo at the time. I had my own place at the time. You know, I got my own apartment with my boyfriend at 15. Who does that? You know, who does that? But I did. And um, I was working at Bob's Big Boy at the time too. I don't know how I kept all these balls, balls in the air. You know, it's like I kept them all going. And then when she died, it's like everything fell apart for me. Everything fell apart. And the choices I made, by the time I was 18, I was looking at my first 10 years in prison. And um, it was a huge case. People had wondered what happened to me and they saw me on the six o'clock news. And I look, I think back about that now and it's like, I'm not that person anymore. I can't believe that I made those choices. You know, I cannot believe it, but I was looking at 10 years of prison. I was um, eight or 18, just turned 19 years old. I had a three, um, three month old baby girl. I got pregnant and the father said, you know, are you sure, you know, cause I was young and I'm like, there was no option. I, I, there was no way I'd watched so many of my friends use um, abortion as birth control and I wasn't about to do it. And uh, I gave birth to my daughter. She was five pounds, two ounces. And this is how I know um, 
my higher power and my God has always been on my side because I'm not dead. I'm not dead, first of all. She's not dead. They didn't test her when she was born because if they would have tested her, she was definitely born loaded, um, you know, under the influence of methamphetamine, alcohol, and I smoke cigarettes. And she was born a few weeks early. She was five pounds, two ounces. She was tiny. But I was in Big Bear at the time when I had her. And it would, there was a blizzard outside. And they had to send the sheriff to go get the doctor because all the phone lines were down. And I was the only person in the hospital except for an intern and I, some kind of security person, I guess. And then the doctor. But so it was... God has always been on my side. I always believe that there's something that I can do better. That for, you know, like driving from Redondo Beach, it's no big deal. I get to give back. Maybe somebody will hear something that I say that'll trigger them to want to stay. Maybe one of you will want to stay and not go out and drink again. Because, and maybe you won't have to make the decisions that I made. The one thing too that I will say is I'm very grateful. I've never blamed anybody else for my decisions. I know I made them. I made them. I've never tried to blame the police or anything else. They're just doing their job. You know, when the DEA and SWAT and all of that is busted down my door, it's not there. They're just doing their job. They're just doing their job. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to protect and serve. And I was making some really bad choices. So again, I took me with me. I, you know, went to jail and finally got bailed out a few months later. Again, my daughter, um, one more time, there was a, there was a fire because um, I'll just, it, my case I caught, it was like breaking bad on steroids for, for you know, it was huge. It was a huge bust a lot of chemicals, a lot of finished, finished product, you know, I mean, round bottom triple necks that were this big. It was insane, insane what I used to do. And today I'm not that person. I, it's like, that's crazy. They would lock me up forever now because just, I cannot believe it. Anyway, so the air started on fire because there were so many chemicals and the vacuum pump that was, you know, pulling off the liquid off the um, tabletop filter. Um, the vacuum pump um, sparked and ignited the air on fire. So next thing you know, the house is on fire. I'm downstairs with my baby girl. The fire's burning. I put my ex out. I try and put him out with the, cause he burnt from the waist up and he takes our daughter and I'm like, go, go, go. And we're in Big Bear and, and he's like, come on. And I'm like, I can't go. Cause that Catholic guilt, I'm like, I can't leave this house burning. The dogs were inside, the house was burning. There was people that lived around us. If that house would have blown, it would have left a hole where it was. I couldn't do it. So I'm there with a freaking hose trying to put out the house. You know, the fire department shows up and I catch a case. So that's my first 10 years I'm looking at. Anyway, he gets her, he gets her, he goes to a friend's house. They drive from Big Bear down 
to Redondo Beach to drop my daughter off at my sister's house. And then they take him to Harbor UCLA to deal with his burns and all of that. And I go to, and I go to jail. So that's my first case. And again, I get bailed out finally. And um, I take me with me, the same thinking, nothing's changed. I really think I need to take care of myself and not be a burden on anybody else. Um, and by the way, this guy was really violent and, and very abusive. And that's the self-worth I had. I didn't have any. I didn't have any self-worth. I thought I deserved it. You know, he used to break my bones, break my nose, ribs, all of it, and put cigarettes out on me. And that's what I thought I deserved in life. Fast forward, we're living in Manhattan Beach. Um, the chemicals are in Redondo Beach in a storage <clears throat> because we're getting smart. Okay, nothing's gonna be in the same spot, right? Chemicals are in storage in Redondo Beach. The equipment's in Torrance and in another storage. We live in Manhattan Beach. Well, you know, sooner or later, somebody's gonna come knocking on the door. Here comes the DEA and the SWAT again, busting down the door, arresting me. Um, I'm catching another case, looking at another 10 years in prison for conspiracy while I'm fighting the other case. And this is just a few months later. And, you know, the beauty of this is, is I get to see I'm not that person anymore. And that's because of these 12 steps and these 12 traditions, because I've done all these steps multiple times. And I've gotten rid of all the deep, dark secrets that I thought I was going to take to my grave. I really did. I thought I was going to take them to my grave. And I did esteemable acts to build my own self-esteem. You know, and one of the, one of the, um, who was it? The first, the Ryan, I think he was talking about sponsoring people. It's like, I haven't gotten... 29 years sober. I've had sponsees. I haven't gotten one of them all the way through the 12 steps. They go out or they just aren't willing to suit up and show up and do what's asked. They're not willing to do these things. The one thing is though, I've always been willing to suit up and show up no matter what. And I've been willing to sponsor and I do H&I. H&I is a huge part of my story, huge part of my story. So, you know, some people are better at things than others. You know, my sponsor was like, I hate speaking. She goes, you go do the speaking, I'll sponsor people. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, it's like, but I, no matter what, we're both willing to do what we don't want to do or what we feel we're not good at. Um, anyway, so I was catching, I caught a second case. I was looking at more time. I ended up going away. <coughs> I ended up going away to CIW and, um, you know, I was away for three and a half years or so, again, away from my daughter and my aunt and uncle took care of her. And no, when, when I got busted that time with, you know, the house on fire, nobody asked where's the baby that belongs to these clothes, not one person. Nobody asked when they kicked my door down in Manhattan beach with the DA and SWAT where's the little girl that belongs to these clothes? Nobody ever asked. That's my higher power, I believe. I believe that was my higher power looking after me and my daughter. And, um, 
You know, I was really grateful when I was sentenced to prison because I knew that was going to be my opportunity to get away from him. That was going to be the first opportunity to get away from him. And I had a significant amount of time, you know, away where, you know, I wasn't drinking or using. And I, you know, went to, got out of the dorm to, to do, or my cell to do, um, you know, AA meetings or whatever, just to get out of them. I, I didn't hear a thing. I don't think, but um, I got out, of, I got out and um, I was working at, um, what was the restaurant called? It was called Rocky Cola in Hermosa. It used to be Bob's Big Boy. And I was working there. I got my daughter in school and I knew I didn't have to go back to that. I didn't have to be in that relationship, that dysfunctional relationship anymore. I had enough self-esteem because I had self-esteem. I earned and learned about self-esteem when I was in prison. And I learned that because I was in fire camp and I was a lead saw and I carried, a, you know, 60 pounds of gear, fighting fires all over California. And I really felt good about myself. I'm like, wow, this is the best I've ever felt in my life. And I was in prison, but I was giving back to you. I was giving back to the community. I got to see what it was like to suit up and show up for other people and fight fires and save their homes and save their horses and all of that. It was amazing. And I hung on to that. I really did. I hung on to that. So a week or so, about a week after I was out, my aunt and uncle were like, you're kind of uptight. Why don't you go to the Red Onion with your cousin and just loosen up? Well, that started my disease again. Little did I know. Started my disease again. A few months down the road, you know, I started my dealing, you know, my little outside issues, just a little business, not big. I ended up catching another case. And um, a few months after that, I was like, I can't, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And I started calling, um, I had this folded piece of paper. It was like all these inpatient and outpatient programs that I had acquired somewhere when I was away. And I started calling these places. I was living in Redonda Beach on a boat in King Harbor with my daughter and my sister-in-law and my niece. And uh, we were living down there. And, I wasn't, you know, I don't, I don't, I was just tired. I was tired of living the way I was living. And I started calling all these places and I talked my way into one. And they only took people that were in jail, like, or in prison. They'd show up at court and say, hey, judge, you know, we'll bring them to this recovery house. We'll give them an opportunity to learn the 12 steps and go to meetings and have therapy and do parenting classes and all of those things. And I wasn't in jail. I wasn't in jail, but I talked my way into it. And um, I've been sober ever since. And the director of that program, she still says, I would have never bet on you to stay sober. I would have, you would have been the last one. And there was eight of us girls that were in there together and the rest of them were dead. The rest of them were dead within about six, eight months. One's with a needle in her arm behind a dumpster, one with, you know, some gang bangers and one hung herself and ODs and all of that. And it's like, I was the one, I believe, I believe my higher power had something else for me to do. And I've been able to stay sober because I've been willing to look at the things that I don't want to look at, at the choices that I made. And 
so the long and it's like so i've always been a part of h and i i had an h and i panel for years for years i had one panel for seven years and they're like spirit of rotation I'm like oh, we want it i'm like fine you know i didn't want to give it up because it gave me, I got charged up getting people to come to the panel and seeing all the changes in people and seeing how people like light up, you know, cause I didn't get the gift of watching people light up, you know, getting them all the way through the steps. But I got the, I got the gift of watching people suit up and show up for other people on a panel and seeing people out there just really like get fired up and it's like, maybe they'll stay. And it was awesome. It was really awesome. So at five years sober, I'm, I'm like, oh, great. This is awesome. I get, I started a career, you know, I worked my way up the ladder in this career. I got a job when I was like nine months sober for $10 an hour in 1995. That was a lot of money back then for me anyway. So I got a job in the industry and as a receptionist and you know, and I worked my way up to different levels in that company. I worked there for 14 years, but at five years sober, I'm like, this is great. I can do prison panels. So I fill out all the paperwork to do the prison panels. And I'm like, this is awesome. They give me clearance. So to my daughter's 12 by then. And uh, it's a Wednesday night. We go to Wayside Prison, Supermax. It's myself, my friend David, and my friend Steve, and we do this amazing panel. The guys were really receptive, really receptive, because I'm like, look, I know where you've been. I've been there. I've walked the yards with the Manson girls and all the murderers and everything. I've been there. I know what it's like. And they were like, they knew I knew what I was talking about. And um, it was awesome. So we go to leave and the sheriff is like, are you David handing back our IDs? And he's like, are you Steve? Yes. And are you Tina? Yes. You're under arrest. I'm like, what? Why? And he goes, I'll tell you when we get inside. And my friends are like, you can't take her. And he puts his hand on his gun. He's like, try and stop me. And, you know, fast forward Friday, this is a Wednesday night. Fast forward Friday morning. You know, it's like David went and got his daughter to go be with my daughter until we could get my daughter down to my sister's house again in Redondo Beach. And I was living in Sherman Oaks at the time. And my first thought was, I'm the team mom. It's my turn to bring snacks. It's Saturday, the games at Saturday morning at 8 a.m. I got to be there at 7 a.m. And I'm thinking, and then I'm thinking, what the fuck did I do to get arrested? <laughs> I, you know, because... You all taught me, get sober, stay sober, change one thing, everything. I changed everything. I was willing to give up that life, all of it. I gave it all up. And I did this program for five years, five years, no matter what, suited up and showed up. You know, I took a bus from downtown LA for like six months to where my new job was. Two different buses. It wasn't fun. But I did it. I was willing. And now I'm here five years sober getting arrested at Wayside Supermax. So the other gift is, is I've got to see the inside of Twin Towers because I'd only been to Civil Brand and, and, and CIW before. They, since they shut down Civil Brand because so many people were dying, so many women were dying when they get released because people would murder them on the way out. 
But I got to see the inside of Twin Towers and I got to hear these hookers go, hey girl, what are you doing here? You don't look like you belong here. And I was like, I don't. Five years into it, I didn't belong there anymore. That, and that was a Thursday morning. Friday morning, I'm in front of the same judge that sentenced me to my second five-year term in prison. And he's like, Tina, good morning. And I said, good morning, your honor. He goes, I wonder what happened to you. He goes, I haven't seen you in a while. I said, no, your honor. He goes, your uh, attorney, by the way, I had somebody hired an attorney for me. By Friday morning, I had an attorney and I had all these people in court for me from the Valley down to Torrance. And he's like, yeah, so I, uh, your attorney tells me that you've been sober. I said, yes, your honor, five years. And he goes, congratulations, that's amazing. He goes, I'd wonder what happened to you. I hadn't seen you. And I said, and I, I don't think I said anything. And he said, you know, I know your record. I know your record very well. And um, I said, yes. And uh, he said, and I know what the DA wants to give you. He wants to give you 30 years. And I said, yes, your honor. And he said, but I have to take into account. Oh, because that case I caught, I had, I had escaped. I had escaped from Lennox. And they were, they were not happy about it. The Lennox sheriffs were not happy because I escaped because I was skinny, it was just, it was bad. It was bad. It was like, I was, I was like a, a scared rabbit. I had to run. I had to run, so I left. And, you know, and then I got sober. And then I got sober. And how many minutes do I have left? Okay, cool. So, you know, I left. I caught it, I caught, you know, it's like, I caught that case. He's like, I know they want to give you 30 years. And he goes, but I have to take into account because by then I had a stack of letters. There was like 30 letters people had written for me from my work, from Alcoholics Anonymous, from people just reference letters. She's not the person she used to be. She doesn't deserve to go back to prison. And he says, I have to take into account this. I have to take into account what the DA wants. And he goes, and I'm assuming these people are in court for you. 12 people stood up and said, yes, your honor as a reference. And he said, you know, Tina, he said, Alcoholics Anonymous has done more for you than this judicial system ever has. I drop all the charges and demand your immediate release. And you guys and ladies, that doesn't happen if you're not willing to do the deal. If you're not willing to do the deal. I was looking at 30 years in prison and five years sober, but I'm not that person anymore. I was telling Tim before the meeting, it's like, I've been kicked out of countries. I was kicked out of Canada because of my record. They're like, we don't want people like you in, in our country. We give you permission to leave. And that was when I was seven years sober. Two years later, my boss is like, I need you to go to Canada and fill, you know, produce a piece. And I was like, I'm not gonna tell my boss this. You know, I get pulled out. It's like, they pull me out of the line in Toronto on, you know, the. Mountie and he's like, go in the back because it, my passport was flagged. And this woman is in, starts interrogating me for like 40 minutes. She's like, how does a girl like you get a record like this? And I said, look, I mean your country no harm. I'm almost 10 years sober and I just wanna attend a conference. And she says, what's gonna happen 
when I don't let you in. And I said, you know what? I'll probably go back. I'll get fired, but that's okay because I'm not the person I used to be. And I was really at peace inside. I was really at peace inside. And she says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. She took my passport and slid it back to me. And she says, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to take a break. So I'm not going to be here if anybody's going to ask a question. And she says, I want you to go into Canada, do what you said you're going to do, and then leave when you said you're going to leave. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I did. I didn't go see Niagara Falls. I had a rental car. I could have gone anywhere and done anything, but I didn't. I did exactly what I said I was going to do, and I left because I want to be honorable now. I don't want to make those bad choices anymore. I don't want to have anything hanging over my head going, oh, my God, I might get caught. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know, it's like whether I get through figuring because I've had my record expunged and all that as much as I can. But I have a couple of felonies that aren't going away. And I want to go to the World Convention next when I'm I'll be 30 years sober next year. I want to go. I'll I turn 30 this year. But next year's the World Convention and it's in Canada. I want to go. It might happen, it might not. And I'll be okay with it. But these steps and these traditions and the concepts and just the simple things that we get to do suit up and show up, make coffee, stick out your hand. My first commitment was greeting people. I did not want to talk to you people. I did not want to talk to you people. It was a PG kind of meeting. It was in Sherman Oaks. And it was like, there was a bunch of us and we had to, you know, we were requested to greet people. I didn't want to talk to you people. I had nothing, nothing in common with all of you, but I do. I have everything in common with you. We're all alcoholics. We all have crossed that line at some point in time in our lives where we don't get to go back. It's just like the cucumber and the pickle. We're not gonna be a cucumber anymore. We're not. And you know, it's like, we're just pickled. We're just pickled and it's okay. And it's okay because we have a common denominator. We all wanna get better. We all want to do something. We all want to heal our family. This, this is another thing I really want to mention. You know, it's like I was going through a divorce and I didn't realize I was depressed. I want to, went on antidepressants for like six, eight months. For me, that's what I needed to get through that divorce without wanting to drink. And then after that, I did the trauma therapy, which was amazing. It changed my life. That little bit of antidepressant changed my life. It's like, oh, I don't have to live feeling like I have a dark cloud over me. For me, that worked. For me, that really, really worked. And um, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of things. Al-Anon, you know, I went into, my daughter was in Alateen since the day I got sober. I got her into Alateen for like 11 years. <clears throat> She became the chairperson for Alateen, for the convention and all of that. And then I didn't get anything from it because all I heard was all of them pointing the finger at me saying, you're the problem, you're this, you're that. So I didn't go anymore and I didn't get anything from it. But I'm back in, I'm, now I do a double winners meeting with, Alan, with AA and Al-Anon and it's just women's meeting. It's a woman's meeting. And I get so much from it because I get to, 
I get to heal. We get to heal our families. We get to heal our, our parents, our, our aunts and uncles, our children, our sisters and brothers. We get to heal around us and they get to see the change in us and it changes them. That's a gift. That's a really gift. That's a huge gift. I mean, our book is, it was divinely written. It really was. And, um, and I'm really, really grateful for that. And I'm just really, um, I don't know what I would have done without Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know what I would have done had I just not been tired of living the way I was living. I didn't have any more oomph in me. I didn't have any more fight in me. I just thought it was me against the world. And uh, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't. None of us have to. None of us have to because I could, I, you know, I probably could pick up the phone and call Tim and say, I need help. And he would be there. And we, we, you know, we just know each other from meetings and stuff like that. There's a lot of people that I know that I could just pick up the phone or I would pick up the phone and they'd say, I need help. I'm there no matter what, because this, this program and all of you have given me a rich, beautiful life. I haven't worked in over a year. I work in the industry and um, I'm a teamster and, and I'm in a different union as well. And the strike just killed us this year. And we, and you know, I haven't gone back to work yet because it's slow coming back. Got my car totaled this year, got that fixed. The engine seized a month and a half ago, got that fixed, but I'm okay. I'm sober today. There's none of it. Life happens no matter what life I'm still in dealing with pain from the accident. They want to do neck surgery, but no matter what life still happens and I don't have to pick up a drink. I don't have to not, not ever because all of you have showed me how to live my life today. And thank you. I appreciate you.